filibuster, filibuster freestyle, filibuster, filibuster. Watch out for the filibuster. Oh yeah, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the filibuster freestyle. It is your buddy Gavin. It's early in the morning. It's Saturday morning, December 1st. How the hell is it December 1st? Alert in effect. 8.30 in the morning in the east. Uh, the last time y'all heard from me, I was 39 years old, but now I can officially say it. To quote the great Oklahoma State mulleted head coach Mike Gundy, I'm a man. I'm 40. Anyway, if you haven't done so already and you didn't take my 39-year-old advice the other day and you want to do something for me, well, I'm still kind of at the very tail end of my birthday week, or certainly as some people like to have a birthday month, which is weird. But anyway, I'm going to take it for right now. My birthday month just expired. If you want to give me a little present that costs you nothing, follow us, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Just type in filibuster freestyle. We'll pop up. Subscribe to us. Tell a friend or two. That's all we really need. That's all we need. It doesn't cost you a thing. So anyway, really quick filibuster today. Solo, filibuster freestyle. And then I've been doing a lot of brainstorming while we've been gone. Crack research team, Pundit Cindy Harrington, myself, all took the trip over to Ponta Delgada in a little place called the Azores, which is part of Portugal in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. But uh, a lot of brainstorming, a lot of long flights, a lot of time to think about ideas for new guests, for the future of the show. Uh, we're going to go into year... The show's going to be four years old in January. And uh, we're going to be going into year number five, uh, and we're going to do it a big. We're going to do it in a big way. At least we hope to. We'll see. That's the aspiration. Um, but the very next guest on this on the freestyle, the next time we record, will be voice actor Keith Norton, who is actually a professional voice voice actor. He does voices for commercials, uh, businesses. I think he's done some movie stuff, uh, some TV stuff, some some stuff like that, some creative content stuff. We're going to talk to him all about that. We're also going to ask him about some of his top five influences and more importantly, maybe even the top five voiceover characters in, say, movie or TV or you know, multimedia history. Uh, so he'll be the next guest we have on. He's a real pro. And you'll know him uh, sometimes on the show, and I haven't done it in a while, and it's more because um, as the sound engineer and the host, I'm a little lazy sometimes. But Keith had was kind enough to record a bunch of really cool kind of bit intros for us. So uh, that's the guy who'll be coming on next on the freestyle, the next time on the freestyle, not next. Again, you're stuck with me today, but this is going to be a quick one. So I mentioned the Azores, the aforementioned uh, archipelago of islands in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, which are part of Portugal. The Azores are a four-hour flight from Boston on the way to Europe. And I, I guess it's probably about an hour, hour and a half, two hours from the Azores to the Portuguese coast, to Lisbon, say. Lisbon is the capital, obviously, of Portugal. So I want to tell you a little bit about the Azores because it's a kind of a cool place. And a good amount of the folks who listen to the show, not all of them, of course, and we'll get into that in a minute with our Places Listening segment, but a good amount of the people who listen to the show, move my mic a little closer, sorry, um, live on the east coast of the United States. Obviously, that makes a lot of sense. Most of the cities that I've lived in in my life have been on the east coast of the United States. So anyway, from Boston, it's a really quick hop, skip, and a jump. So here's what my hot takes on the Azores. 
And mind you, we went at the end of November. Um, they, like most places in the Northern Hemisphere, certainly have a higher tourist season in May, June, July, August, September than they do in late November. But it was still a lovely time and it was fantastic. But here's a hot take. And for you football fans out there, you will probably appreciate this. Um, remember NFL cornerback Darrell Revis, um, a.k.a. Revis Island, because he was in his prime such a good coverage shutdown cornerback in the NFL that you could just leave him alone with the other team's best receiver on, quote, Revis Island. And even though he was all by himself, he was more than enough to get the job done. Well, here's my take on the Azores, which are in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean all by themselves. They happen to be all by themselves, but they are enough to win the day by far. I mean, from swimming in the ocean, but in their downtown. So let's, let's talk about that for a second. Every little town on the island of San Miguel, which is where Punta Delgada, the capital city, if you will, of the Azores is, every little town we went to has what they call a piscina, a swimming pool. But part of their swimming pool complex is actually like a stone cutout pool that's like part of the ocean, but also not part of the ocean. It's wild. And the biggest one is the one in Punta Delgada, because obviously that's the biggest the biggest town on the island. It's the biggest city in the Azores. So we're walking by it, and it's high tide, and I'm like, let's take a look. And people are out there. It's, it's November, and it's chilly. The, was, the wind is chilly, the ocean is chilly, but the sun is strong. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going swimming. So I got to go swimming in the ocean in the middle of downtown all at once. And even though it's like a harbor, and even though it's it, you know, kind of in their piscina area, because of where the Azores are, you're essentially swimming in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Now you're close to land, but San Miguel, the, the, the island, is not near anything else besides the other Azorean islands, which are pretty far away from San Miguel. So it's, even though you're not in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, you're kind of in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So that's badass and pretty singular and awesome. Um, there are three... So really quickly, a little geography lesson again. The Azores are, as my cousin Mike likes to call them, the Portuguese Hawaii. And what he means by that is, one, they're a part of Portugal, though they are not anywhere close to Portugal, really. Just like Hawaii is a state, but not really close to the North American continent. Uh, But also they're volcanic. They were created by volcanic activity, the Azores and the Hawaiian island chain. So San Miguel is basically created from three different volcanoes, that kind of moved in like a northwestern to southeastern direction. And the volcanic craters are so large now that at least two of them are, I think, officially dormant. And the third one is kind of dormant. I'll get into that in a minute. Um, but you can drive down into the volcanoes. Like you drive up these giant mountains and then you get to a point and then you start driving down. And you're driving, you're basically looking at the giant cauldron or caldera, if you will, of these volcanoes, but in each case, there's at least one, if not two or three towns inside of what used to be like liquid hot magma, to quote Dr. Evil. So it's really crazy. For instance, there's one place called uh, Cita Cidades, which um, there's a lake at the bottom of the crater, and one side of the lake is green and one side of it is blue, and no one really knows why. I'm sure people do know why. I don't know why, but... Um, so that's pretty pretty crazy, and then the, and that's the northeast sorry northwestern side of the island on the kind of more the southeastern part of the island. 
um, there's a place called Furnas, which is loosely, tr- loosely translates into furnace in English. And Furnas has hot springs. So the volcano there is actually still, it's not a retired volcano. It's not an extinct volcano. It is what they call a dormant volcano. It has not erupted in 10,000 years or within the last 10,000 years. But I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, if you can get your odds in Vegas on maybe it will, take them because all the rivers are hot. There are hot springs you can sit in. There are geysers. There's just kind of seismic kind of, not seismic activity, but there's like a geo, geo uh, I want to say political. That ain't, that ain't right. Oh my God. Geothermal. Thank you, everybody. I've had like half a cup of coffee. I'm going to take one more sip here. Hopefully that gets me to a place where I can recall geothermal more quickly. But anyway, wild stuff. You're in a town inside of what is a volcanic like crater area. It's beautiful. There's warm streams and there's warm like little geysers and it's crazy. So anyway, that's pretty crazy. I just said crazy twice in one sentence. Fantastic. Um, in addition, you've got beaches, black sand, volcanic rock beaches. There's volcanic rock everywhere. All the town sidewalks and streets are made of volcanic rock. Volcanic rock on the beaches in little fine crushed sand. Great waves. Good surfing over there in a little place called Ribera Grande, uh, a.k.a. Rib Grande. Great spot. Also, there's hydrangeas, blue hydrangeas, red hydrangeas, pink hydrangeas, I think, everywhere on the island, especially as you drive up into the mountains, up to the volcanoes. So the, the, the uh, you know, there's, 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 there's palm trees, there's pine trees. It's crazy. It, there's like New England weather, which means in a given day, you can see rain, wind, high temperatures, low temperatures. It's kind of like if you don't like the weather, wait a minute type situation. You're not going to see snow there. Um, but everything else. Essentially, the daytime temperature in the Azores is between like 40 degrees Fahrenheit and 75 degrees Fahrenheit all year long. Pretty temperate, but also kind of a wild swing between 40 and 75. Uh, and you get this crazy weather that it's like nice one minute and not nice the next. I also drove a car for the first time outside of the United States in my life, which was incredibly interesting. A lot of tight corners, a lot of tight fits, a lot of windy roads, a lot of volcanoes. Just saying. Um, so my, my final take besides go there, because the wine is great and cheap, the food is great and cheap, breads, cheeses, meats, fish, fish, fish everywhere, the people are so nice. Uh, my final take is that Ponta Delgada, Sao Miguel, which, you know, those are the places in the Azores that I've been, are kind of like if Ireland and Puerto Rico had a baby with Portugal. And what I mean by that is from a geography and weather standpoint, by the way, I've never been to Hawaii. And so maybe it's kind of like Hawaii (laughs) and Ireland had a baby. I don't know because of the whole volcanic factor. But regardless, the geography and the weather are a weird combo, in my opinion, of like Irish and Puerto Rican weather Um, and and geography from the mountains, the palm trees, the pine trees, the there's cows everywhere. There's farms everywhere. There's stone everywhere. Like Ireland, the weather's kind of in between. Um, but a really cool spot. So oversimplified way to put it, but the Azores are like Rivas Island. They're the Rivas Island of Europe. You can leave them out there by themselves and they will represent themselves in Europe just fine. All this international talk's got me thinking. Places listening this week, besides the U.S., top places listening. Canada, the Philippines, France. Our friends in Saudi Arabia keep listening. Greece, 
Italy, Kuwait, Malaysia, Jamaica, Mozambique. For the first time ever, the nation of Gabon, or Gabon, I'm just not sure how they say it, it's in Africa. Also Tanzania in Africa, New Zealand, and many more. Top cities listening, welcome back to the top of the podium, Ashburn, Virginia. Uh, second place, Ugong, Philippines this week, out of nowhere. A place called New Liskard, Canada. Athens, Greeks, uh, Kuala Lumpur, which is the capital of Malaysia, and then in Mozambique, a place called Maputo. So thanks for finding us in Maputo, Mozambique. All right, a couple more hot takes, and I'm out of here. So Christmas time, Christmas music, it is in full effect. That's okay. We're finally past Thanksgiving. I am not necessarily a Grinch on Christmas music. In fact, there's a to guarantee that at some point between like June 1st and August 1st, I'm going to randomly have Christmas music in my head. It's weird. Um, different podcasts for a different day. But I'm just not a huge fan of, oh, it's Halloween, and then it's November 1st, and a bunch of radio stations, and they just start playing Christmas music for two months. Don't make it more than it is. Wait till Thanksgiving's over. Wait till at least Black Friday. That's all I'm saying. But anyway, also another podcast. But we are now well, and now it's December 1st. We're 24 days from Christmas. So, yeah, we're well within our rights to play Christmas music. So here's the kind of a thought I had the other day. Is Christmas music like the original Christian rock? And I'm not a big Christian rock guy. And I know it's not quite, because not all Christmas music is about Jesus the way, or the Lord, if you will, the God, the way that Christmas music, you know, it's been about the birth of Christ Jesus for a long time. But it's also a lot about Santa Claus and presents and mistletoe and all that. So I'm not saying it's a one-to-one corollary, but I think Christmas music probably predates most Christian rock. Um, but I mean, a ton of Christmas classics are, you know, have religious lyrics. I mean, Oh Come All Ye Faithful, Silent Night, Little Drummer Boy, Joy to the World. So I'm going to go with kind of. Christmas music is kind of the precursor to Christian rock. Um, all right, this was a conversation that came up with the crack research team. Uh, Cindy Harrington in in Portugal in the Azores. So we were talking about Steve Perry, former Journey lead singer, and we were saying how he's got a new record out. This is true; he really does. Um, and whether certainly before that record was out, he was kind of a recluse and wasn't performing. But he would have been very available to perform. Methinks now that he's performing again, he's probably less available. But we were thinking about. There's a lot of people out there who love Steve Perry. So here's kind of like a three-parter, very short. But So the song, uh, Faithfully, great Steve Perry song, great Journey song. You know, what if Steve Perry was like, listen, I will play your wedding. I will sing faithfully for you at your ceremony. I will kick off your wedding reception with a live performance of my hit, Oh Sherry. Which is a jam. It's a total banger. But you have to let me play a CD of all my new songs in between. So essentially, would you, it's a poll for people to do in your head, whatever, but would you hire Steve Perry to sing faithfully during your ceremony and to kick off your reception with Oh Sherry if during the cocktail hour you had to play his new CD? And I haven't heard his new CD. It's probably fine. But I've heard a couple of reviews that are the, to the contrary, which is that it's not very good. I say the answer is yes. And I don't mean like you don't pay him any money. He just gives you that either or. I mean, as part of his negotiations, he's like, yeah, I'll take the 10 grand and 
you're playing this during cocktail hour? I think I would. Because if my if I got married and my wedding reception started with Steve Perry going, should have been gone, and then saying, oh, Sherry, I mean, the tone is set. And you can't beat faithfully for a, a song during the ceremony. You just can't. Anyway, what I would say for you is think about if you aren't married yet, is there an artist that you think is attainable? And is there a similar deal in which you would love for them to do one or two songs, but you may have to agree for them to do a bunch of songs you don't care for? Or at least no. All right, getting close to the end. So one of the cool things about being in a hotel in Portugal for like five or six days is that sometimes you just want to watch TV. And I'm not going to lie, when I'm in like say a place that's a Spanish-speaking place, um, I will try to watch some Spanish TV because I understand some Spanish. I don't understand a lot of Portuguese. Um, So what I would try to do is find stuff that was either in English and had Portuguese subtitles or was in Portuguese but in English subtitles or, you know, whatever. If it was in Spanish or or Chinese or or Mandarin, I should say, or French or German because, you know, you get a a few different channels over in Europe of different countries. So be it and go for it. But anyway, it happened upon an English version with Portuguese subtitles of Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Now, I can't recall if I have vehemently been against Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift on this podcast, but I definitely have been on the record in my life, my private life, if you will, as saying that that movie shouldn't even count. Kind of like some people say Rocky V shouldn't have counted in the original Rocky, you know, quadrilogy, then it was a quintilogy, and everybody's like, man, did they ruin Rocky with Rocky V? Let's just pretend it didn't exist and make some more Rocky movies, which they kind of did. Anyway, um, I'm not going to lie. Hot take. I fell in love with Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift when I was in Ponta Delgada. Two things. First, fake band name of the week, Tokyo Drift. It probably is a real band name. It's got to be. But I figured out why. So I'm like, why do I suddenly like this movie? And it's not because I'm stuck in Portugal, because I'm not stuck in Portugal. I'm having an awesome time in Portugal. But why am I drawn to this movie? And I figured it out. It's because the actor who played the main, one of the main characters in Tokyo Drift, Han, the actor Soon Kang, Soon Kang, excuse me, Soon Kang, he's so beloved to me after his turns in Fast and the Furious 4, Fast 5, and Fast and Furious 6, and they also got rid of him at the end of part six, which was crummy, and they shouldn't have done, but they, they used it to advance the plot line and bring in Jason Statham for Fast 7 or Furious 7 or whatever we called it. But I've, I became so familiar and, and part of the family and, and behind the success of Han, a.k.a. Soon Kang, that retroactively watching him in Tokyo Drift was enough to get me excited to watch the rest of the movie. Which is amazing because I've always just been like, that movie's way off brand, no thanks, no Paul Walker, no Vin Diesel, no Tyrese, no Ludacris. But I hadn't, the last time I really watched Tokyo Drift, I hadn't seen parts four, five, and six, also with the character Han, a zillion times. But now that Han is part of the family, I retroactively, like 15 years later, can say, in Portugal, I fell in love Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift. That is a phrase I never thought I would say ever or on the Filibuster Freestyle. P.S. Filibusterfreestyle.com is where you can find this podcast. All the show notes from all of our shows, blog posts, some other fun stuff. So check that out. A little segue there. Finally, 
Woke up this morning to the news that uh, 41st president of the United States, George H.W. Bush, has passed away at the age of 94 years old. Really just want to say very quickly, rest in peace to George H.W. Bush. Um, but what I'd like to do is read a letter, and a lot of you are probably seeing this on social media today, that he wrote to Bill Clinton uh, for Bill Clinton's first day in office on January 20th, 1993. And I think... Not only does it sum up everything that George H.W. Bush should be remembered for, but also I think just sums up everything that the America we all know and love should be remembered for and should be vehemently and violently fought back for. And I think it's summed up in this letter. Remember, George H.W. Bush was not leaving office after eight years. He was leaving after four years because he'd been defeated in November elections. You know what? Nine weeks earlier, by Bill Clinton, and he wrote this note. Dear Bill, when I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know you will feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times made even more difficult by criticism you may not think is fair. I'm not a very good one to give advice. But just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off your course. You will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success is not your your success now is our country's success. I am rooting hard for you. Good luck, George. Like I said, George H. George H. W. Bush, 94 years old, passed away. Rest in peace. And that note is something that only a very special individual could write so soon after a probably a bitter loss and an end to his run as president. But um, now more than ever, a note like that needs to be read, and the person who writes that kind of note needs to be respected. So rest in peace, sir. And to everybody else, next time you hear us, we will have on voice actor Keith Norton on the filibuster freestyle. Thanks as always for listening.